uh, Lord God, speak to us now. Um, uh, amen. So uh, listen, um, it is getting on, but I thought that this morning as a special treat, instead of a three-point sermon, um, uh, I'm going to do an eight-point sermon, uh, and uh, it's, it's going to be awesome or not. Uh, and uh, here are the eight points. Um, uh, we're looking at blind Bartimaeus, and um, I'm just aware that I just got to change. Um, what we've seen in Mark's gospel up to this point is, uh, is three passion predictions. Jesus telling people he's going to suffer and die. And at each one of these, his disciples who've been with him at this point for three years, who you would think, uh, know him well, um, at every point, they spectacularly fail to actually understand who Jesus is. And, um, so that's, where we're at. And we come now to um, the final passion prediction and, uh, and the final failure of the disciples. And it is a spectacular failure of the disciples. They get this amazing passion prediction, the disciples fail. Uh, and then uh, we see the failure because two of the inner group of disciples, James and John, immediately they've heard this, they go to Jesus and they try and get uh, they, they try and get him to promise them great glory in his kingdom. They say, we want, we want to be, we want, <laughs> I mean, how dumb Jesus says, I'm going to go and die. And they go, Oh, we want to sit with you at the right and left hand. We want power and glory and honor and status. And um, it's a spec. It's, it's just the irony is so thick. You could cut it with a chainsaw here um, that they just don't get it. They don't get it. Um, which makes, which, which was why we got out, we discussed that question at the start uh, during the service. Uh, what makes it hard to follow Jesus? Well, actually just following Jesus, understanding Jesus, who he is, um, committing to him, it's not easy. I mean, the disciples didn't get it. Last week, we looked at the, the young, the, the rich ruler uh, earlier in Mark 10. He's another guy who didn't get it. He wasn't prepared to follow Jesus. So, Following Jesus is not easy. It can be hard, and there's room for enormous misunderstandings. And as we, as was discussed, um, one of the biggest problems with following Jesus, one of the things that makes it hardest, is uh, the other people on the journey who reject Jesus or who start off following Jesus and seem profoundly, how can I say it, uh, less than ideal disciples. So I thought that what we do this morning, the eight-point sermon, what the text gives us is um, after all of this and the misunderstandings and the failures of the disciples of the rich ruler, we come across this little story of blind Bartimaeus. And we can learn from Bartimaeus, and it's, cl it's cleverly put here in the text, to give us a paradigm, a picture of what discipleship looks like. And, uh, and you may be able to find more things in this than I can, um, and you could extend the sermon in your own learning. But there are, in my view, at least um, eight, eight, eight characteristics of a disciple uh, or eight steps of discipleship. And... Uh, 
check out the text as we go and you'll probably you'll probably see that they're not that complicated the first thing is um bartimaeus knows uh he needs jesus help so the first the first step in discipleship is actually the first step in alcoholics anonymous and any 12-step recovery program and that step is to go uh, I, I know my need. I know I cannot make life work without, uh, without some higher power, without God. Um, uh, blindness was um, one of the, in the Old Testament scriptures, many miracles were performed and people were healed, but no blind person was ever given back their sight. Mm -hmm. So Bartimaeus knew he needed God, he need, and there was no hope in this world to, to restore his sight. The, the path of genuine discipleship starts with an awareness of our need. Um, we find God at the end of our rope. Uh, one of the things that makes it impossible to become an authentic disciple of Jesus is if we pretend or live in the fantasy or live in desire in denial about the lack of our true need for Jesus. Uh, we think we can see how the world is. We think, think we can make life work on our own. And um, as long as we harbor that fantasy of independence, as long as we live in denial of the state of our spiritual blindness and our brokenness and our need and our sin, we will never become authentic disciples of Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and that takes enormous humility and that is hard. And who wants to admit that you're a mess, right? Um, but uh, that's the starting point for Bartimaeus. The second thing is um, he, he persistently calls to Jesus. And won't be put off by others. The others, he's... He, and this is important, right? Like they, the people around him get really annoyed at what he's doing, right? And they, um, he shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Uh, there are many voices in our society, in our world, and perhaps even voices that are very close to you. Who are very, in, who will be very invested in you not actually acknowledging your need, admitting how much you need God and calling out to Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus. Having worked with many people over the years who are in the early stages of recovery, you would be surprised and shocked at how many close family members of people trapped in alcoholism or some other uh, addict, overtly addictive and destructive behavior, how many people close to them actually sabotage their attempts to get uh, sober because their whole world is, has been adapted and organized around this illness or this addiction or this disease. And for the people around the addict who wants to become sober, it is actually very destabilizing and can be destabilizing and threatening and challenging. And hey, you know, that's true spiritually. Um, 
there will be many voices around us who will say, don't, don't call out to Jesus. You're not that bad. You don't really need him. Don't take him that seriously. Look at all the, look at all the reasons why you shouldn't go on this spiritual journey. And, and there are lots for sure. We've, we've covered some of those. Um, but he just keeps on yelling out. He, he raises the stakes. He won't be put off by others um, because, because in the end, each of us is responsible for our own healing, our own journey, our own discipleship. And uh, irrespective of what others say, um, uh, thirdly, the third step with Albartimaeus is he knows uh, Jesus owes him nothing all he cries out for is mercy right he comes to jesus and he says you know son of david have mercy on me the difference between him and the disciples james and john can't be more stark they come to jesus and say hey jesus you owe me a place at the right hand and the left hand you owe me status and glory and power and other stuff and and Elbartimaeus comes you know with nothing in his hands he just says have mercy on me um and if we're to be authentic disciples of Jesus you know we need to come to him acutely aware that God owes you owes me nothing we can't come bargaining and saying, well, I, I want this, I want that, you owe me this, you owe me that. Look, I've been a good follower of yours for years. Look, I'm a good person. I haven't done anything wrong. You owe me this. You just go, no, 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 no. Um, in the words of the hymn, you know, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We bring nothing in our hands. We cling to the cross of Jesus. We beg for mercy. And we don't think that God owes us. Um he doesn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you owe me my sight. I mean, as Christians, right, in the West, in our middle-class world, we can come to God and, you know, well, you know what undermines our discipleship dramatically is a sense of entitlement with God. God, you owe me a comfortable life. You owe me a sickness-free life. You owe me a life of personal peace and affluence. You owe me whatever, whatever, whatever. You owe me a way out of this pandemic quickly. No, 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 no. God doesn't owe us anything. We come with Bartimaeus and we ask uh, for mercy. Uh, he also recognizes the truth about Jesus, right? That he is indeed the messianic son of David. Um, so we've talked quite a bit about the subjective elements of discipleship, what was going on internally for Bartimaeus, but there's also an objective recognition about the nature of reality that is that he says there's there's certain truth claims about who jesus is that if you and i are to be a disciple authentic disciples it entails coming to a view that jesus is who he claimed to be that he really is the son of god he really is israel's messiah he really is god wrapped up in flesh I mean, those are massive claims. Christianity is a religion in the end, as, as actually all of life is about the truth. You see, life works well when we know the truth. That's what Jesus said. That's what he meant when he said, you will know the truth. And knowing the truth, it will, will set you free. 
So it's only when I know the way the world really works that I'm genuinely free to live well within it. And so it is here that he knows the truth about Jesus. So we need to know who Jesus really was. It's, it's fine. We've got to use our brains. Now, for some of us, that's more important than for others. And for some of us, reading and thinking and debating and ideas matter enormously. And, and we need to take those concerns intellectually and academically very seriously because the truth matters. Um, understanding who Jesus is, you're not just a good man. Uh, that, that option is not left open to us. People love the idea that Jesus was a great moral teacher, but, you know, um, the scriptures don't really leave that as an option for us because um, he made outrageous claims that no great moral teacher would make. And the Bible makes outrageous claims about him, like he's the messianic son of David. And Jesus doesn't rebuke the man. He accepts. He accepts the truth claim made about him by Bartimaeus, which is something that if he were just a good teacher, he would never have done. He would have taught him that, no, I'm just a man. So, um, uh, we, we need to grapple with the truth question. The fifth thing is um, uh, he, there's a, he literally leaps at the chance. Uh, leaps. So what does that mean close to Jesus and get help? Um, look, I think what that means is when you get the chance to follow Jesus, jump at it. There is a naivety, uh, a humility here that, and a desperation um, that just, it's the childlikeness that Jesus talked about. We looked at last week earlier in Mark 10, you know, the kingdom of heaven, you, you learn about entering the kingdom of heaven from kids. There's a, just a jumping up. Here's this blind guy. He has, this is the chance of a lifetime and he leaves everything and he jumps up and he runs to Jesus and he grabs, you know, he, he grabs this opportunity with both hands. So uh, I think that's appropriate, like for you and me to recognize how, what an extraordinary opportunity it is to draw near to Jesus, to come to God, to know your creator, to have every one of your deepest needs met for all eternity, to know the God who can save you. To, that, that should move us <laughs> to literally jump out of our seats and grab hold of Jesus because this is the best news in the world. Uh, this is what discipleship looks like. Six, um, he asks plainly, Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Um, uh, he asks Jesus plainly. I mean, this is just a brilliant example of prayer. Like a disciple is someone who comes to God. And like a little child, you don't, you're not passive aggressive. You don't expect God to read your mind. You just ask him. And you ask him, and that's okay. It's, it's not an asking with an attitude of entitlement. We know he's come for mercy, but he just asks. He, another way of saying this is he just prays. He, he just pours his heart out to God and says, I just want to see again. So on your journey of discipleship, do not hold back from pouring out your heart to God, to asking Jesus to meet your deepest needs and wants. 
I mean, he's not always going to give you what you want, but he'll always give you what you need to flourish and become Christ-like. And it's a great relief that he doesn't always give us exactly what we ask for when we ask for it. I mean, imagine if you gave, if there was a three-year-old in your care and you always gave the three-year-old absolutely everything they asked for whenever they asked for it, it would be a disaster. But if you're a good parent or a good caregiver uh, of a three-year-old, you will listen to their needs and wants carefully, and then you'll give them what is best for them. And that's the attitude with which we should come to God, just here's what I need. Here's what I want. Jesus, will you give it to me? Um, and, uh, and then we trust God to give us um, uh, what we need and what we want, uh, what we need. Um, and sometimes that will also be what we want. Um, his seventh, his faith in Jesus heals him or saves him. Now, that word saves is also the word heals, yeah, um, in this text. And at the heart of discipleship is trust. That's the other word for faith, by the way. So faith can also be translated trust. And you say, what is the kind of faith that is required of a disciple? Well, faith is and trust is simply acting as if something that we believe to be true is actually true. <laughs> so he claimed, the, Bartimaeus claimed that Jesus was the, the messianic son of David. One of the things the predicted Messiah was going to do was give sight to the blind. We know that from the Old Testament promises. So he, he made a truth claim. He, had, he said, I, I believe, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the son of David. What did he do then? Well, he acted on the basis of that truth claim. That is faith. Faith is acting as if what we've said we believe to be true actually is true. Here's an example. Um, if you believe that you're, if you're going on a trip, of course, you know, you can only drive five kilometers now. So um, let's imagine in a pre-pandemic world, you're driving to uh, somewhere on the central coast and, you know, it's a hundred kilometers away and you look at your petrol gauge and you, your petrol, you know, you turn your car on and the little thing there says, you know, estimated range, uh, 200 kilometers. So faith is getting in the car and driving up to your destination that is 100 kilometers away, acting on the basis, or acting as though what you believe, what the dashboard tells you is actually true. And it is that faith that actually moves you to the central coast. Uh, it's the same with God. We claim to believe, we claim that there is a God. We claim to believe that this God loves us. We claim to believe that this God came to us in Jesus Christ and lived and died and rose again. Now, the faith that saves is the faith that moves us to act as though that claim were actually true, to actually trust that God loves us, that he can heal us, that he can save us, that he can provide for us, that because of him, we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to worry. We don't need to take revenge. This faith that saves is a faith that actually moves us to love and to serve because we believe there is that there is a God. And unless we 
unless we live lives of love and service in the way of Jesus, our claim to trust Jesus is shown to be false. We don't really trust him. So um, a faith that saves is a faith that uh, actually acts because that's what faith is. And the final thing um, is that he uh, leaves everything and follows Jesus. And where does he follow Jesus? On the road to Jerusalem. Um, now here again, the contrast is massive with uh, the, rich, the rich ruler just a few verses earlier, who when push came to shove would not leave his wealth and would not follow Jesus. And discipleship is doing what Bartimaeus did. He jumped up, he left his cloak on the side of the road. The cloak would have been, it was his uh, most valuable possession and it would have been spread out on the road. And as a beggar, people would have thrown coins on the cloak. And it looks like he just jumped up, left his cloak on the side of the road with the beggar's coins, or all his earthly possessions in that cloak. And he followed Jesus. Um, and he followed Jesus to Jerusalem, not to a resort in Tel Aviv. Um, that's important, right? Um, if you've ever been to Tel Aviv, you'll know it's a beautiful uh, town or, or Netanya or one of the other beautiful resorts around on the Mediterranean. He didn't follow Jesus to a resort. He followed Jesus to Jerusalem. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know from the previous verses what's going to happen to Jesus in Jerusalem. Well, he's going to be rejected. He's going to be falsely tried. He's going to be spat upon. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be killed. And Bartimaeus goes, I'm with you, Jesus. Uh, I've just, I've heard you, you know, I know you're going to die. And, uh, and maybe, maybe that's going to happen to me too, but it doesn't matter because I'm with you and I'm going to follow you. Um, that's it. That's, that's, the, that's where all this ends up, right? With you and I saying, I, Jesus, we'll follow you. Uh, we'll jump up and, and we'll follow you because following you is, is the only way to really flourish in life. Now, of course, you know, you're going to follow Jesus literally to Jerusalem, um, but you're going to follow Jesus into your workplace tomorrow. Uh, if you go to work still, Jesus will be there ahead of you working in the world, bringing in his kingdom, and you're going to follow him into your workplace. And which means what? It means you're going to, you're going to live for him as his follower in the way you go to hospital and give anesthetics or the way you go and um, deal with clients uh, in your um, legal practice or the way you um, treat children in the school that you go to treat or the way you deliver groceries or the way you iron shirts or the way you do whatever it is that God has called you to do. You're going to follow. Following Jesus means living like Jesus would live were he living your life in your place. That makes sense. Living the way Jesus would live. Were he living your life in your place? That's that's what following Jesus means. It's jump, and it's not saying I'm just going to follow you to a resort. I'm going to follow you no matter what, and and that could well involve losing my life and embracing a life of suffering and service and sacrifice. And but that's what it is to follow Jesus, because what we know is those who've read and know the ending. Spoiler alert. Uh, Jerusalem wasn't the end of the story for Jesus. His death and his death was not the end because after Friday came Sunday, after the cross comes the glory, after death comes life. And, and so we follow Jesus in that because 
Um, I'm not sure if you've noticed, uh, but actually we're all heading towards death, right? Uh, you've, I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, uh, I think this is one of the great existential, psychological, sociological traumas as a culture we are experiencing with this pandemic. Um, a culture who is completely committed to living in denial of death and believes we're entitled to live long, healthy lives and death is something that happens to other people. We, we, we're, we're paranoid about it. We're terrified of it. We don't want to go there. Um, as Woody Allen said, it's, uh, I, I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens to me. Um, I think that's true for us, right? Uh, but, but we all end up there. So you know what? We follow Jesus even to death, our death, because we know that as we follow him to death, we're also following him to resurrection and to glory. So that's the path of discipleship. Eight steps from Bartimaeus, there may be more. It's not everything one can say on discipleship, but it's a start.